0: I was at my, my rock bottom, you know, like I, I was feeling deep shame about the wedding, I was feeling like a failure and I just couldn't, didn't know how I was going to get out of this mess.
1: What is up everyone, I am Lachlan Samuel and this is the Open Up Podcast, a show where real people open up and share real stories of struggle. Everyone, I am Lachlan Samuel. Welcome back to the Open Up Podcast, episode number one, with a good friend of mine, Candice Morell, also known as Candy Love on Facebook. She is a blogger and artist, and a Reiki practitioner. My personal Reiki practitioner. Thank you for being here, Candy.
0: Thank you for having me. Pleasure to be here.
1: I guess we'll just jump straight into it. Tell me a little bit about your childhood and how you were raised.
0: So I'm from Rotorua in New Zealand, which is sort of Bay of Pinty, the North Island. I lived there probably until I was about 16. My childhood was pretty standard Kiwi upbringing, I would say. I spent a lot of time playing outside, hanging out in my treehouse, riding my bike, making mud pies, cruising around the (laughs) neighborhood with the kids. Yeah, I had a pretty normal sort of upbringing. My parents, they're still together, and uh, yeah, three sisters, so there's quite a big age gap between me and my older sisters, So, um, but me and my younger sister, there's only four years between us, so we were really, really close, mm. so she was my partner in crime, always <laughs> up to no good.
1: So upbringing was quite normal, mm-hmm. nothing major happened there to sort of influence you or I guess direct you into what would become your story that you're going to tell. Today on the Open Up podcast, mm-hmm. what about high school?
0: I would say that in after in New Zealand you have primary school, then intermediate, and then high school. Mm-hmm. I would say intermediate was really not a fun time for me. No, <laughs> no. So um, I was bullied quite a lot through that part of my um, life. Yeah, and I think that's probably where I first started sort of beating myself up and okay. letting, letting that negative self-talk really get to the core of me.
1: Yep, and what was the bullying, if you don't mind sharing <laughs> that
0: with us? Um, <laughs> didn't know I was going to talk about this. Um, I, there was a rumour that, we, I don't know if I want to talk about this, or I do, or I don't. We can
1: edit it if you
0: yeah. don't want to. Okay, um, so... In intermediate, I went from primary school into intermediate, and one of my close friends at the time, um, we got separated into two separate classes, and a rumour was spread around the school that I was a lesbian. Oh, well, And I was must have been 10? 10, Ten. 10 or 11, yeah. maybe? I remember people coming up to me at school and just saying, oh, you're disgusting, I heard you're gay, like, get away from me, you're gross. Yeah. And I had like no real way of defending that because I didn't I didn't know where this had come from yeah. I didn't know like where this rumor came from or what I had done to make them think that I was but I just really took on board that I was disgusting that there was something wrong with me and like just wow. shame from a really young age about sexuality which I didn't even have a sexuality at ten yeah, like you so know to was old Yeah, so I just remember people coming up to me and sort of being like, oh, you're gross, like, get away from me. I remember just not really having any friends and stuff like that, and I guess that was probably, yeah, I remember just feeling like super alone and didn't have anyone to, like, hang out with, and I took that sort of on board, um, and I believed it. I guess at that age you're kind of learning the world and...
1: Yeah, you're really susceptible to everyone else's opinions. How did that, I guess, evolve? going from intermediate to high school.
0: Um I so I struggled with friends and I mean I think to a degree I thought my friend or my friend from primary school had started the rumor. Yeah. Well I thought so. So I had this like deep sense of betrayal like I couldn't trust my supposed friends. So okay. um I think I felt quite isolated and couldn't connect to people for ages. Um and just I guess a l lo- underlying anxiety that I couldn't trust people, and yeah, just taking on that that there was something wrong with me um so into high school, well, and also I guess you know she got into the um smart smart class, I guess, and yep. I just went into the mainstream class, and so that also kind of backed up that I wasn't good enough, and I think I took that through to high school as well, where I just found it really difficult to. Um Connect initially in the first couple of years to people, yeah with time that seemed to change a little bit, but I still carried that belief that there was something wrong with me, and that I you know wasn't good enough okay. mm-hmm.
1: taking that those opinions of others from intermediate through high school people thinking you were gay and you not really understanding what it was that made them think or feel this way. How did that impact you fitting in socially throughout those schooling years? And how did it impact your understanding of who you were as a person?
0: I think there was an underlying fear of that. Um, I, Whoever I was wasn't okay. Mm-hmm. And so I think to a degree I kept who I really was to myself because I was just afraid of being rejected or for who I really was or afraid to find out who, that, who I actually was. Yeah. So I kind of just went along with the masses and did what everybody else was doing, and the way that I sort of managed to fit in socially was through drinking and partying. Okay. And you know, I really didn't fit in at school; wasn't really good academically, in mm-hmm. my opinion. I didn't really excel in any particular area. So I kind of just found it easier to not care and to just pretend like I was cool and I didn't really care. Yep. <laughs> just to fit in you know kind of thing so yeah I would say I I didn't really explore who I actually was out of fear of finding out who that was and not liking it or it being rejected
1: and looking back now who do you think you actually were who were you hiding
0: I would say um my creativity is a massive part of myself that I didn't explore or Mm -hmm. didn't get to know I guess I compared myself to everybody else and I just really didn't f- find where I fit and so it was easier to pretend like I didn't care. Yeah.
1: Um, so you, did you feel like you had to hide that creativity in a sense to fit in?
0: I don't think I was consciously hiding it, I, it just happened that way that I just never really connected with that the creative side of myself because okay. it, you were sort of meant to be sporty or smart. Or one of the cool kids who just drank and partied and pretended like you didn't care. So I just took that route instead because I I wasn't sporty, I wasn't smart, you know, overly smart. And so I just hung out with, the, (laughs) you know, I ended up hanging out with, you know, the cool kids kind of. And just drinking and pretending like I didn't care about any of it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of hard to picture that now because obviously you're super creative, you're blogging, you've got this um, art exhibition. Yep. showcasing your paintings in May? Yep. Yes. It's kind of hard to see you as someone who didn't know they were creative then. Mm. Did you have any inkling that you were?
0: No, I think that's where the comparison first came in. I remember going to an art class in high school, and there was like a fruit bowl, and the teacher was like, draw this. And I remember trying it one time and being like, it doesn't look like that. So I'm not creative, and I just like... I, start, I had the story that I just wasn't a creative person, like, which is, seems ridiculous now. Yeah. Um, but I think you know, that was where I first was learning. Like You're told to do something, you have an expectation of what it should look like, you don't meet the expectations, so you're not it. But you know, along my journey, I found that it's, everybody's creative in their own ways. Yeah. And what I found was that actually I'm an abstract artist which means it doesn't look necessarily like anything and it's more about the feeling and the colour and the fluidity and creativity and how everyone can see something different in the painting, whereas I never even tried that when I was younger. I just believed that I was not a creative person. So, yeah, it wasn't until much later in the height of my struggle, I guess, that I connected with that creative side, which, yeah, I didn't even know existed, (laughs) (laughs) which is bizarre, really. Yeah, yeah, it is. (laughs) Uh, considering who you are now yeah fast
1: forward a little bit from i guess those intermediate high school rumors we want to get to your story and why you're really here today just Mm. to open up (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. yeah you feel comfortable telling us
0: yeah of course that's why we're here we want to share our struggles and so that people can find inspiration and hope to move through their own uh, so, I guess, continuing on from high school, I just kept reaffirming all of those beliefs of you're not good enough, there's something wrong with you, you don't really fit in, you're not a success, you know, where are you going, what are you doing, just feeling lost. Yeah. Um, and through feeling lost and being disconnected from who I now know myself to be. I just had constant thoughts of negative self talk and being unhappy with the way I looked and everything that I was doing. And it started with sort of poor body image. And um, I moved to Australia about five years ago now. And I remember moving here and also finding that I didn't really fit in. I struggled to find work, um, didn't really know many people here. So it was kind of like a flashback <laughs> in a way where I just felt like I didn't belong. And then I had a moment where I really just hated the way that I looked and uh, I decided that something needed to change. My partner at the time had done a... He was really into the gym and he had done a bodybuilding show. Yep. So I decided that I was going to do one too to try and get into shape and feel better about myself. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I went from not really exercising at all to preparing for a bikini bodybuilding competition. So. Okay.
1: And how do you go from being someone who's not overly happy with how they look physically to someone who commits to a bodybuilding show, I think there'd be, you know, some area in between that you'd land before you land at, okay, I'm going to do a bikini show, Mm -hmm. like you did.
0: Yeah, um, (laughs) it is quite a drastic uh, jump there, yeah, so... (laughs) I remember going to a Halloween dress-up party and I remember going to get a costume and I went to um, buy a pair of shorts. I remember going into the changing room at the store putting these pair of shorts on and I just burst into tears. Uh, and I remember looking in the mirror and just being like, you are disgusting. Look at you, like, you're just disgusting. It's those same, same, stor- same descriptions from when I was 11, you know, wow. like, you're disgusting no one would find you attractive like just the self-disgust yeah um and i just burst into tears and i remember yeah at the time my partner was sort of consoling me and was like you know trying to comfort me talk me out of it and say you know you're beautiful and things like that but um i didn't love myself so nothing that anyone could tell me was really gonna land or i was never gonna be able to actually hear it or take it on board
1: quite heavy that's quite a burden to take on so fast forward from there you take the leap from being disgusted yep. how you look to this bikini competition mm. run us through your story from there
0: um, so yeah, I started. I went, started going to the gym and started training. So we went on to like a really strict diet and training plan. And you know, my partner was doing it at the same time, so we kind of had that in common at that time, and we did it together. We had a flatmate as well who was doing it as well, so we we're all kind of on this buzz or motivating each other and that kind of thing. Um, it did. It did motivate me. I yeah. felt like I had a mission or something to be working towards. So, but it was also an escape as well. You know, like or a way to another way to punish myself really by you yeah. know depriving myself of socializing and you know enjoying the food and just having a social life really because all of a sudden it all became about exercise and food.
1: Yeah.
0: Um. So then I competed. It took about six months worth of training. And I remember even even the day before the competition, I remember looking in the mirror and still looking at my legs and just being like, "Yes, they're still not. You're still not happy." Like even though I'd done all of this work and I'd lost all this weight, I still wasn't happy because it was my mindset that was still pro programmed to just negative self talk. So I couldn't see, yeah, the reality. But either way, I got on stage and I I had this moment on stage where I. I just felt amazing, I was like I finished it, I achieved it, you know, like it was one of the hardest physical journeys I'd been on, like that level of commitment, yeah I'd tried to pull out a few times, but I'd managed to like keep going and complete the journey and get on stage so i was I was proud of myself for, for achieving something and sticking to something I set out to do so
1: awesome. so was this sort of the first time that you'd done something like that like set out on a a big mission or set yourself a big goal yeah. Goal?
0: yeah. Yep, so it was the only, yeah, I guess it was one of the main, main times I set a goal and actually stuck to it and followed through and completed it. So yeah. that felt good. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine it would. Um, but then, you know, afterwards, I then went back to just feeling lost again. I'd been on such a strict lifestyle that I ended up going the other way because all of a sudden I had this freedom to eat whatever I wanted. So I then started binge eating as well because I'd deprived myself of. Any fun food <laughs> <Yeah>, or <how laughs> well, socializing for you yeah, at least six months. So, wow. yeah, you know, we'd go without for months. You know, like no, no chocolate, no alcohol, no nothing. You know, like it was really hard. Um, and you know it drives a bit of a wedge between you and your friends as well as because other people aren't doing that. You know, they can't relate. Yeah. A big part of socializing is food and drink, so yeah. you just ended up not going to stuff.
1: That's um, that's a big switch or a big turnaround from intermediate and high school where you couldn't fit in and you couldn't understand why you couldn't, to now being an adult doing a bodybuilding competition and sort of segregating yourself and driving a wedge and making it so that you don't fit in. Yep. Yeah.
0: Yep. Seems bizarre. I know. Yeah, it, it does. <laughs> So after the after the Christmas and New Year period, um, you know, I had put on that weight from rebounding from coming off such a strict diet, and I was about to start dieting again. And I woke up one morning with uh, this severe stomach cramp, and just being like, "Fire out! What is this? Like, it was debilitating. Like, I couldn't breathe properly. It was like severe contractions or something. Wow. It was really bizarre." I got up and went to go to the bathroom and then next minute I woke up on the floor, I was drenched in sweat and I remember just being really disorientated and being like what the hell happened, what, you know, like I've never passed out or anything before. Um, So I remember being in in the bathroom and I remember opening the door and sort of crawling to my room, feeling really disorientated. I can
1: imagine that would have been scary.
0: Yeah, I was just like, what the hell's happened? And I went to my room, and I was I was all dizzy. I couldn't really function properly. I was crawling on my hands and knees. And I remember getting my phone and calling my partner at the time. He was sleeping in the lounge, and he came, and I just kind of said, oh, I don't really know what happened. I've just passed out. Or anyway, I as you do, just was like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> never mind that. That's just a small blip. <laughs> Nothing nothing to worry about here, I'm sorted, I've got it, I've got it under control, it's all good. Yeah. Brushed it off. Went back to, you know, living life as you do. <laughs> and then six weeks later it happened again. Only this time I you know, I felt the stomach crank come on again and I said to my partner, you know, I think I'm gonna pass out again or something. And yeah, the same thing happened and so we thought, Okay, this has never happened before, something's not right here. So I went along to the doctors, and his first his first sort of <laughs> leap to suggestion was, well, we need to rule out that it's a, a brain tumour. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, how, did,
1: how did you take that? Obviously, this is something new for you, you're having these seizures, you have no idea what it is, you're trying to just ignore it, mm. and now you finally come to terms with having to do something about it, and mm. someone says to you, We need to rule out it's a brain tumour. How did Hmm. you take that?
0: Yeah, I was freaking terrified, to be fair. Um, You know, I just went into a massive state of fear and panic of, you know, what's wrong with me? Again, the same thing, what's wrong with me? You know, like, I'm the last to find out what's going on. So I had an MRI. He said, well, you know, either a brain tumour or perhaps it's epilepsy or something. Obviously quite drastic things to jump to. Uh, So I had an MRI and luckily... That came up, you know, there was no, nothing there, which was really good. That was yeah. a weight off. And they said to me, you know, so you've had these seizures or your fainting episode. We suggest you don't drive because you could be dangerous. You know, if this happens wow. while you're driving, you could crash and hurt someone. So they said, well, we'll still do some. We'll do some testing to try and investigate what's going on here. So they sent me for an EEG to try and measure my brainwaves. The first one came back fine, and they said to me, the transport agency says that you have to be seizure free or have no recurring incidences for six months before you're allowed to drive again. So I, <clears throat> I went about readjusting my entire life to accommodate this unexplained events that yeah. had happened
1: what sort of impact did that have on your quality of life then
0: yeah it, it affected me in a huge way really um i'd driven since i was 16 my dad is a car salesman so i'd always been the person to drive everybody around you know that mm-hmm. was my you know freedom i guess i always used to drive to the coast and drive up the beach on the weekends and listening to music is like just something I used to do for fun, and now I couldn't do that anymore. Um, so they said, you've got to wait six months, so we've got to do everything to try and prevent another one from happening. Wow. So they said, you're not allowed to drink any alcohol, you're not allowed to stay up late and get too stressed, you shouldn't exercise or do anything strenuous, you shouldn't go swimming, and you shouldn't have a bath, um, in case you know this happens again and you could hurt yourself or something yeah. like that. So. I really spiraled into this state of fear of like everything in life was a potential to cause another one of these seizure or faint things wow. to happen. It affected my daily life where you know I couldn't drive anymore so having to catch public transport to work meant that I had to walk for 20 minutes, then catch a bus for half an hour and then walk another 10 minutes or so. So a 15 minute drive to work then became at least an hour plus waiting time either side for transport and um, so it just kind of immobilised or paralysed me in a way that there was just so much I couldn't do in my daily routine anymore you know everything just became really hard or well to me at the time it felt hard
1: and um, because of not having a license not being able to drive did you have to depend on anyone else?
0: Yeah, so I I came became you know really um dependent on everybody. I felt like a burden, you know. Mm. Like people would invite me to come and you know have dinner or something. You know, I had to say no because I couldn't get there easily, or it was going to cost me a lot of money and trans like taxis and things to get anywhere. Yeah. And then once I got there, you know, I couldn't participate. I couldn't drink. I couldn't stay up late. So it was just all too hard. So um, I pushed a lot of my friends away. I couldn't get around so even trying to get to the doctors or get to the bank or it just everything became a challenge to me and I it just was easier to shut down really than than to feel like a burden I just pushed everybody away and thought I would just try and deal with it on my own yeah
1: so I can see how you're segregating yourself again obviously you've been segregated because you can't drive and you now have to be dependent on others but now you're doing it whereas you're shutting yourself off from these people who still want to have you in their circle who still want your company but you're choosing to shut down instead how did you view yourself then if you're being completely honest
0: you know i didn't i didn't um i didn't have enough self-esteem or self-worth to believe that th- that people did want me in their circle you know like they I felt like people were just you know inviting me somewhere but I would be a, a let down or I would be the you know party pooper or whatever because you know I couldn't join in and to be honest with the the mental state that I was in like I wasn't really able to have fun so I felt like I'd get there and then I, I would be a party pooper or you okay. know, a down buzz and then they'd kind of just be like well, she we won't invite her anymore kind of thing. So yeah. I created all of this myself, you know, like they were reaching out to me to invite me to places but I felt like they couldn't understand my position, so I just I isolated myself and took it on board that I would deal with all of it myself.
1: Now you've taken this burden on by yourself. You've cut yourself off from friends who still want you around. Mm. You feel like they don't know you and You've sort of taken this weight. Fast forward from here, how does this impact your relationship going forward with your partner?
0: Mm. He was fly and fly-out, so that meant that he would fly away for work sort of two or three weeks at a time, mm-hmm. then come back for a week or so. So again, that meant that not only could I not drive, but I didn't have anyone else who could drive for me So yeah. for a lot of the time. So, And given my just where I was at in my mind, you know, like when he did come back for that week off, I wasn't very enjoyable to be around because everything was too hard and, you know, he wanted to go out and have a good time, but I couldn't participate. So again, I felt like a burden or a down buzz. Yeah. So I just, again, I, I sort of pushed him away as well. Um And... You know, we'd been together for a really, really long time. I think it was like 12 or so years. Wow, that is um,
1: And how old were you at this point?
0: Um, I was 26, I think.
1: Wow, so it's going from pretty much high school. Yeah, yeah.
0: Through to that point, yeah. Yeah. And so, I'll just rewind a little bit. So, they said that I couldn't drive for six months. So, yeah. I went about that and I, I was counting down for that six-month mark and... You know, I'd put a calendar up and I'd circled the date and I was like, Yes, this is my ticket to freedom, you know, like the the this wait is nearly over. Yeah. So they had done another test in the in the meantime and they'd said to me, you know, look, if you don't hear from us in that six month window, everything was fine and you'll get your we'll let you drive again after that six months. So mm-hmm. I hadn't heard from them so I was thinking this is awesome. Ready to go, ready to party, ready to be able to go to the beach and like have a life again pretty yeah. much. So I rocked up to my six month mark. Appointment with the um, epilepsy specialist, and she said to me, "Your last test showed abnormal brain waves, which doesn't confirm epilepsy, but it's ab- it's considered abnormal. So the transport agency says you have to have twelve months of no reoccurring incidences before you're allowed to drive again." Well, wow. and I remember walking out of there as white as a ghost and just going out into the car park with my partner who'd come to the appointment with me and I remember just shattering into a million pieces and just I could not grasp I was so angry that they hadn't called me yeah. when they said they there's this is like betrayal like why didn't they tell me you know like I had set myself up to be free and I'd found out the opposite and I just remember breaking down and being like, I can't, I don't know how I'm going to go through another six months of that. Yeah. Um, and then very shortly after that, um, you know, my partner had been trying to keep it together as well for me because, you know, me pushing him away had affected him as well and um, my depression and anxiety and that. And it was not long after that that I decided that I needed to speak with a psychologist because I just didn't think I well. you know, wasn't doing well <laughs> yeah and then our relationship started hitting the rock and um well neither of us were happy really it was we were both just really lost and didn't know how to how we were going to get through another six months of that
1: so at this point in your relationship you were engaged right
0: yeah yeah Yep. So we we were engaged and we were planning to get married in that next six months. You know, yep. we had booked our wedding and planned everything and sent out our save the date and and you know everyone wow. was ready to go. We had a hundred people or so. Mm-hmm. Um, I had my dress and everything ready to go. Yeah. And it was about eight weeks out from the wedding. Um, okay. and we had things hadn't been going well and we just decided that there was it wasn't right to get married in that state yeah. so um, and was that mutual yes, yes. Okay. um it was a really difficult decision to make um but you know now looking back you know we i know that it was the right decision to awesome. make but it's easy
1: to do when you're looking back but in the moment i can imagine Mm. it wasn't the easiest how did you view yourself whilst making that decision um what did you think of yourself as if that's the that's the better question yeah
0: i felt like a failure i felt like i had let him down i i felt responsible i mean i know that it takes two to tango and two people in a relationship but at the time because i was in such a, a negative um space and had you know really low self-esteem and self-worth that you know I, again i took on all of that burden of feeling responsible for the failure of the relationship really wow.
1: and you took it on solely because of what you were going through and because of the fact you felt you pushed him away yep. yeah
0: yeah yeah okay. yeah i felt like i hadn't had depression or i you know hadn't had those seizures or things would have been different Well
1: wow. that's a lot so carried from your adolescence your teenage years through to the bodybuilding comp and then now this period where you've lost your independence and can't drive this feeling of being an outlier of being an outcast Mm. and now segregating yourself from others by choice Mm. so much so that you've sort of distanced yourself from your partner and this engagement or marriage has fallen apart Mm -hmm. where does your turning point come in a sense where you finally realize that you need to start your recovery
0: yeah so i'd say my turning point was so we called off the wedding and we had had booked 3 weeks off annual leave because we had planned to go back to new zealand to get married at the time yeah so i had booked 3 weeks annual leave off and we had you know set aside a bit of money for, towards the wedding and i yeah. I just at the time I didn't know what to do and I just remember seeing this postcard on, on um my notice board at home of India and I'd been going to yoga for years before that and I'd always had this like underlying passion for the legends and stories and philosophies and you know I just love going to yoga and my yoga teacher at the time you know she had done retreats to India and I'd, I'd always said I'm gonna go one day like i just think that would be such an amazing experience so at the time i was at my my rock bottom you know like i i was feeling deep shame about the wedding i was feeling like a failure and i just couldn't didn't know how i was going to get out of this mess um and so i just had this moment of inspiration where i just said i need to get i need to get out of here yeah And I was just like, I need to go to India. I don't know, it was one of those inner voice moments where something was whispering in your ear like, you need to go to India kind of thing. So
1: something I just want to jump in real quick, something important to mention about this is that you're not traveling, in a sense, to run away from your problems and to just forget about them or ignore them. You're sort of running from your problems towards what you see as your recovery.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, at the time, I thought it was an escape, I thought I need to get out of here, but actually, what unraveled was that I actually, in India, I reconnected to myself, because Mm -hmm. it didn't look um, like my daily life, I had time on my own, I learnt a lot about myself in India, and I reconnected to my creativity, really, in India, by connecting with the colour, and the music and the storytelling and the vibrancy of India. And that was like where that spark started in me again. That was like, oh, this is what you love, you know, like, yeah. and I had pushed away everything that I loved um, at that, up until that point. And so that was a changing moment where I was just like, oh my God, this is where I am again. Yeah. And so I, I went on the, a two week retreat to India with a a group of americans i met them over there and mm-hmm. they they were running a retreat traveling through northern india um varanasi up into the himalayas in the mountains wow. um, and you know i the day that i was supposed to be getting married i had in india and i remember having this moment and you know, i became really close with the women on this retreat and I remember saying, you know, like, I'm in India, I'm going to choose to marry myself here, wow. which was where I decided that I needed to start putting myself first and, like, focusing inwards because, you know, I up until that point, I had just been focusing on everything outside of myself to, um, you know, I was looking for that external validation and I was, even if I was getting it, I was saying, it's no, not true, you know, yeah. like. So I, I had this moment where I was like, "Right, you need to go in and you need to start loving yourself before you can let anybody else love you." So, was there
1: a moment that sort of sparked
0: that thought? I remember being we we we're in Agra, and we went into this little backstreet jeweler's, and um, there's this. Man in there who his family were, um, you know, had been handed down the trade. And we went in there one night and they were talking about getting custom made jewellery. He would bring these little envelopes of little gems, like diamonds and crystals, all sorts of gems out to look at, and they were just like mesmerizing. And I remember being like, I'm going to marry myself and give myself a ring. And so I picked out this jewel and a custom made design, and he made me this most beautiful ring. In 24 hours, he handmade it for me. And I remember at that time, you know, it was costing a lot of money. And I remember talking to the other women on the group, being like, I can't afford, I can't justify spending this much money on something for myself as a gift just to me because I'm worthy. And I remember them being like, You've got to do this. You know, it is so symbolic of the journey that you're on and why you're here. And I just went, You know what? bucket (laughs) and I bought this ring and I've worn it ever since and it is really like a compass to who I really am I feel like it captures not only that part of my story but captures the part of me that is connected to India which is you know where I found myself again so on that day I made a commitment that I was gonna start focusing on myself and learning to love myself and go on see where that journey took me before that's Before anyone else was ever gonna be able to <laughs> love me. <laughs> and that has been the most amazing journey that I've been on in the last wow. two two or so years since then.
1: That's amazing. So what I take from that is what we have talked about with not fitting in and then distancing yourself from your groups of friends, you escape to India, as you said, in search of something to help you get through this this depression or anxiety. Mm-hmm and you connect with a bunch of women who you don't distance yourself from you gravitate towards them and then these women in turn eventually convince you to finally value yourself with Mm. this ring to tell yourself that you're worth paying this much Mm. is that your turning point getting that ring and telling yourself that you are worthy
0: That was definitely a turning point, yeah, and and, you know, it was also a turning point in the fact that that whisper that told me that I needed, or my intuition that told me that I needed to go to India, you know, it didn't rationally make any sense, you know, I'd never travelled alone before, some might say that India's not a particularly safe place to go, I didn't know anyone there, you know, I met a group when I got over there, Mm -hmm. but I was flying blind, I guess, so, it was also a turning point in learning to hear my inner voice or my inner guidance and mm-hmm. then acting on it, even if it didn't make yeah. sense. So, the more I found that I did that, the more I started finding my way and learning to trust myself and connecting to who I really was, the things that I love, yeah, learning to love myself and wow. yeah, turning, <laughs> turning all of that around.
1: <laughs> okay, so if you're looking back now, what would be the main lesson you take away from that whole experience going from having those seizures, losing your independence, and then coming through that journey to India, learning to love yourself? Mm. What would be the biggest lesson?
0: The biggest lesson is that as long as you're searching outside of yourself for that kind of validation, you're never going to find it, yeah. or you'll always there'll always be something missing. And that as soon as I went in, and really...
1: (laughs) I don't know why we're trying not to
0: laugh. (laughs) I had an itchy shoulder. (laughs) Um. (laughs) What were we saying? What was the point of all of this? (laughs) Um... <laughs> well, what was the biggest lesson? Run break. Yeah.
1: <laughs> was not looking for validation outside. Yeah.
0: So the biggest lesson for me would have been that you know all of all of those years before that I had been searching outside of myself to be good enough. Yeah. But even you know whatever presented it was never going to be enough because I didn't believe I was on the inside. So this whole journey has taught me how to go in. Um, go within and to really learn how to be, no, that ain't it.
1: I think that's a pretty good message though, just learning how to love yourself.
0: Yeah, I guess I learned how to go within and through doing that, you know, I reconnected to who I really was, which I'd never really bothered to get to know before all of that. Um, And then when I got to know who I really was, I actually kind of liked
1: it. (laughs) (laughs) Who was this? creative artist yeah
0: creative confident colorful cultural storytelling uh, yeah person that i was actually like she's really cool i really like her (laughs) um and you know through many different sort of modalities and healing work you know i went through and i kind of healed and repaired and forgave myself for all of the things that we've spoken about and many more. <laughs> I don't have time for all of it. But uh, yeah, I learned how to forgive myself and learned how to finally love and accept myself for who I was, who I had been. Um, and that also meant going in and looking at those parts of myself that I, I didn't love and giving them attention and yeah, learning to love those parts as well.
1: Wow, that's
0: awesome. High five. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get it.
1: I'm going to leave that high five in there.
0: Yeah, do it. Yeah good. good, good. <laughs>
1: <laughs> before we go on any further i just want to thank you for opening up and sharing that for a lot of people especially a lot of people that haven't yet shared their story mm. that's courageous and something they want to be courageous enough to do themselves mm-hmm. so i just want to thank you for that because i know you're going to encourage more people to come forward and share not just their story but even how they're feeling so they don't have to take on that burden by themselves mm. moving forward from your story and that turning point in India mm. as well as the lessons you learned learning how to love yourself and understand who you were we'll jump onto to the recovery and I guess the comeback from that depression and anxiety what did you use I guess if you could give me three of your most valuable methods or modalities for combating that depression and anxiety
0: yeah, um, I would say one of the um, the major ones would have been Reiki for me. So when I was in India, one of the ladies on the on the trip, she started talking to me about Reiki, and it was again, it was that same inner voice, something that was like, I need to listen to this. Something yeah. important is here, you know, like there's a message in this. And I'd been quite spiritual, I guess, in my younger younger days as well, and I had also pushed that away, and. So when she spoke about Reiki, and I was like, oh, that sounds like something I need to follow that message as well. So when I came back from my trip to India, I I searched, um, you know, Reiki, Reiki Perth, and I found um, an amazing Reiki master who I connected with, and I ended up training and doing all three levels of training in Reiki, and. For me that one that was also another way that I connected to who I really was, which yeah. I had you know, another part that I'd shut down. But also it connected me to a massive community of people who had very similar philosophies and beliefs and things to me. So and you know, a lot of people on that on the path of with Reiki, you know, are on that healing journey themselves. Yeah. Um, and so I found like I found a group of people who I could relate to who were also struggling or going through that phase of feeling lost in life and not knowing what direction you were going in, so I found a lot of support and a lot of love, I guess, um, from complete strangers really.
1: Awesome, and did you let yourself fit in with that group?
0: Yeah. (laughs) Finally! (laughs) Nice, it's about time. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Really quickly, for anyone who doesn't know what Reiki is, Mm -hmm. (laughs) what (laughs) some Reiki up for someone who isn't aware?
0: Okay, so Reiki is um, otherwise known as life force. So in some of the other modalities, like Chinese medicine, it's you know, called qi yeah. or prana and you know, Ayurvedic kind of philosophy. So throughout life, through different things that happen to us. We store emotional trauma and belief and Reiki comes in and helps to bring all of those to the surface so that they can be released so that you can heal and let go of all of these things that have held you back in life. Awesome. But mostly it recharges your batteries as well so that you have this new sense of like deep relaxation. It's like just recharging your batteries on 100 all of a sudden kind of thing, in a really yeah. deep, relaxing kind of way. And I can vouch
1: for that, yeah. because you probably helped me the most out of anyone I've seen to date oh. to deal with my fear of failure. Yeah. So thank you for that. Um, my so Reiki is number one, mm-hmm. and number two would be?
0: Number two would be creativity. So um, part of my journey of when I wasn't able to drive and pushing everybody away you know, I was finding myself spending a lot of time at home, so I thought, well, I need to find something constructive to do that I can do from home without having to go anywhere. So I'd always wished that I could paint or draw. because My mum was always a, an amazing artist as well. She could oh, draw wow. and paint.
1: And you couldn't even draw a fruit bowl?
0: <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> So yeah, through that, I, I don't know why, but I just I bought a $5, it was another one of those voices that was just like, just give it a go kind of thing. So I remember I bought my first $5 canvas from Kmart in a pack of paints, and I sat there and I was like, I want to paint a wave. And that was the first painting I did, it was only tiny. Um, and I was like, actually, that's not so bad, maybe I could do a wave. Um, And it kind of just snowballed from there where I I kept buying bigger canvases um, and I started YouTubing videos on abstract art, so it became more about just getting in flow and using colour, whatever colour I was feeling at the time and just letting like this... The brush strokes be a form of meditation where I could get lost for hours yeah. and with no expectation of it needing to be anything, you know, if I didn't like it I'd just paint over it and start again. It was wow. just this sense of freedom. But also other forms of creativity as well. You know, I started my blog at, around this time, so my Candy Love page and I started documenting my feelings and the tools that I was learning on this journey and you know, I, I never considered <laughs> this was also pretty funny. <laughs> I'd never considered myself to be a writer, and English was actually one of my most hated subjects at high school.
1: Me too. Me I too.
0: wagged <laughs> so much English. <laughs> so it's really funny now that I'm like consider myself to be a writer <laughs> or blogger and um so yeah, writing was a massive massive outlet and form of creativity for me too, being able to write my feelings, journaling and sharing that with others and also. Feeling like I had a, a purpose that was bigger than me by sharing what I was going through, and other people were finding inspiration in yep. that to help them on their own journey, and it kind of all just snowballed from there. That's awesome.
1: Okay, so for number one, we have reiki, which, like you said, is a recharge mm-hmm. of some sorts, getting from wherever you are back to a hundred, mm-hmm. and that reiki being letting yourself fit in with a community again, mm-hmm. allowing yourself to fit in, I guess. Mm-hmm and number two being creativity which sounds from the painting to be a form of meditation Mm -hmm. we can shut the brain off in a sense and just focus on something for a certain amount of time as well as the writing being a release Mm -hmm. yeah so got reiki and creativity what is number three
0: one more thing I'll add into creativity is that yeah. I used a lot of vision boarding so I used a lot of a lot of different creative avenues to get myself from where I was to where I wanted to be. so I used different forms of vision boarding to um, focus in on where I wanted to go rather than where I was currently yeah so I'd use that almost as a compass to keep me on track towards heading towards where I wanted to go okay. so um, Using and music, so you know, like so many things, came under that umbrella of creativity that gave me strength and inspiration and helped me to get from rock bottom to where I am now. So,
1: so
0: number three. Number three is definitely gratitude. (laughs) (laughs) I hear people talk about gratitude all the time, but for me, it was a huge part of the healing journey. Was getting to the point where. I could look back on all of those events that had happened that led me to my rock bottom and actually get into a point of being genuinely grateful for those because I wouldn't be who I am now yeah. if those hadn't happened. So. I've always believed that, you know, everything happens for a reason. My opinion is that all of those things happened because I was going in the, down the wrong path and I, I had been disconnected from myself for long enough and Universe was like, she's been taking too long, <laughs> so we'll just rip everything from underneath her until she starts to listen to herself and get on back on track. So, yeah, I'm so grateful for everything that happened on that journey because it's made me who I am today and it's given me purpose and now i'm able to use everything that i learned on that journey to help other people who feel lost and disconnected and help them to reconnect to who they are awesome
1: now we've gone through the most prominent three methods or tools that you've used to help you come back it's all well and good talking about recovery and assuming that we're always going to stay contented and happy with how things are at the moment but we both know that's not the case has there been a point between that dark moment before you went to India between then and now we've sort of fallen back into a state of this depression or anxiety
0: absolutely yeah <laughs> uh,
1: what what was that moment and if you could sum that moment up really quickly what were the lessons you took from that moment
0: i think there's there's you know always going to be sort of small setbacks that you come across in life that are going to try and revert you back to those old patterns of you know hating yourself or you know that negative self-talk and doubt and fear and things like yeah. that but I would say that because I've learned so many tools and ways to reconnect to myself and to pull myself back out it doesn't last as long so I might I might go into that feeling for a day or two days or maybe even a week yeah. but then I go right I'm back in that state again and and again this is where my vision boarding came in so I would have a board that would say, "This is how I reconnect. This is what I am not doing, and that's why I've got to this day again." Yeah. And so I'd go back to the board, and I'd go like, "Right, I need to. I need to go back to reading. I need to go back to getting out in nature. I need to go back to listening to music and Reiki, and you know, my community and things like that." So now it doesn't last as long. I might only be there for a day or so right. when you know that fear gets louder than normal.
1: Yeah. So what's a moment recently where this has happened?
0: Okay, so I've got an an event coming up where I'm putting all of my art that I've created along this journey on display in an exhibition and I'm going to do a talk on creativity for mental health and, you know, that has brought up a lot of my self-worth and doubt um, about no one's going to come and look at my art, you know? Like, (laughs) So a lot of those old fears and programs have come up to try and stop me from progressing and putting myself out there because Mm -hmm. it takes a lot of courage to push past those voices. But um, same again this week. I just was like, right, I haven't been walking out in nature. I normally go for a walk in the morning before work. I've gone back to using my affirmations and doing mirror work as well, so writing things on my mirror in my bathroom and stuff so that every time I go to the mirror, I remind myself of what I'm doing and what my purpose is and that it's bigger than me. So, yeah, it's just about reconnecting to the tools to pull you through again. Awesome.
1: So before we move on to what life is like now, I just want to acknowledge the fact that you are doing a workshop because it literally is putting yourself on show. Not just yourself, but your body of work as well. Yeah, And this body of work is obviously something that you've started creating while you're in this dark period. So Mm. I really wanted to acknowledge the fact that you are taking this step to progress beyond what you limited yourself to before.
0: Yeah, thank you. Because, yeah, it it feels really exposing because it's one thing to like your own art. But as soon as you put something that you love out there, you know, it feels vulnerable, you know, like people can... Love it or hate it, but the thing is that I'm doing it because I want to share a message of creativity and mental health, and that you can use all forms of creativity to pull yourself out out of those dark places. So I've just kind of got to (laughs) got to get over that and go, you know, there's it's bigger than me. So
1: you definitely are putting your stamp on that sort of space. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so from your story through the recovery to now if you could so from your story through recovery to now what would you say your quality of life is like today
0: completely different (laughs) (laughs) i i think that once you once you do go within and you build that found that solid foundation of being okay on your own and Learning that all of these beliefs that you've had about yourself don't have the power unless you give it to them. You get this new sense of, yeah, courageousness, where the fear comes up, the self-doubt comes up, the negative self-talk comes up, and you rather than running from it and numbing from it, you lean into it and you you embrace it, and you just say, cool, here's another layer to move through. I just had this new sense of inner strength that was never there before, and self-worth of knowing that I am important and that I am here to um to make a difference having connected to all of those things that I love which is color and art and things that are a bit different and unique and vibrant and song and music and stories like I just love all of that and connecting to that all the time just it makes me so happy and you know it brings me a lot of joy which I I don't believe I really knew what joy felt like before so through that journey and I've I've attracted some amazing people into my life as well with really solid friendships that I know that are there for me who love me for who I am and who are willing to be there for me when I am struggling to prop me back up and I know that I can reach out
1: it's amazing, it's an amazing change if I was to ask you right now do you love your life, what is your answer?
0: Yes. yeah buddy (laughs) (laughs) yes
1: (laughs) (laughs) and following on from that what is one thing you love about your life at the moment? The people. The people?
0: Yeah. A lot of my story I've shared that I felt so alone and like people didn't understand me and like I didn't really fit in or belong but what we're all searching for is that connection. People who we can relate to and connect with and be vulnerable with and now through opening up Hashtag. <laughs> Hashtag open up. <laughs> Through opening up and sharing with other people, you know, I've developed this amazing connection with people and the friends, people that I have in my life at the moment just bring me so much joy. And But even that's a journey itself because you've got to let them in. You know, you've got to yeah. be worthy. You've got to show yourself. You've got to really stand up and be who you really are and let yourself be seen. And, yeah, since I've allowed myself to do that, I just have an amazing life of people who can support me and help me get where I want to go. Wow.
1: That's pretty profound. That's awesome. Thank you. You're now, one of them, buddy.
0: <laughs>
1: yes. <laughs> um, so, moving from how much you love your life now, the quality of it, and the people you have around you, having come through your struggle, that depression, that anxiety, this failed engagement or marriage, and this opinion that you harbored that wasn't your own, that was from school and brought all the way through to adulthood. How do you see yourself helping others, and what is your mission?
0: As I touched on earlier, you know, I believe that depression and anxiety comes from being disconnected from who you really are. Um, yeah. Being disconnected from what you truly care about, the things that drive you, and having a purpose. And you know, my mission now through Reiki, through mentoring and helping people with creativity. I want to help people connect to who they are. I want to help them to heal from all of those stories and beliefs and things that they've buried that have kept them from showing up as who they really are. I want to help people accept themselves and let go of all of those barriers that have stopped them from believing that they are amazing. So, Depression and anxiety is everywhere these days and I just, I know what it feels like to to be at rock bottom and to just not feel worthy of love or a life that you care about and now that I know that it can be different and I've used so many different tools to get me there, I just, I can't see another way or I can't imagine a life where I don't spend all of my life (laughs) working towards helping people to realise that for themselves, so. it's
1: amazing. How do you see yourself achieving that?
0: Um... Got it. i want to share through my blog sharing my journey as i go because it's a never-ending process of mm-hmm. learning to love yourself i want to do workshops and retreats i want to do this art exhibition and talk and i just want to use everything that i have learnt in every way that i can
1: so your mission is pretty clear then in how you see yourself helping people in achieving this mission for people that do come on to the Open Up podcast. We do ask to provide a little tutorial, something fairly easy to implement there and there for anyone listening. Do you have one for us today?
0: Yeah, I can share um, one of the very first vision boards that I did. So this was yes, yeah, again, through creating, connecting with my creativity and following my intuition about what tools I needed to do to help myself. So I created, I got a canvas and I covered it with butcher's paper and I got a permanent marker and, yep. um, And down the left-hand side, I wrote values. So I wrote the things that I guessed guessed were really important to me. So some of the things that I put up there was that I always always wanted to act with integrity. Mm -hmm. Um, I always wanted to be honest. I always wanted to do the best that I could at everything that I tried. And I wanted to inspire others and help remove the stigma against Mm -hmm. mental health. So that was kind of like a way to anchor into what I was trying to work towards being as, you know, who I wanted to be. I also wrote on there ways that I love myself. So I bullet-pointed the things that I knew made me feel better. Yeah. So some of the things that I put on there were walking in nature, listening to inspiring podcasts, reading um, self-help books. It was Reiki, yoga. So the things that I knew made me feel better, even if it was only for a short amount of time. Okay. So that whenever I found myself going slumping into that sort of depression or low state, I would look back at this list and be like, how many of these have I been doing? And more often than not, I would say, I've stopped doing all of these things. That's probably why I'm here again. So then I'd go back to this and i say, right, so I need to implement these things again and do as many of these as I can to help pull me back out. Okay, and
1: really quickly, what is a vision board?
0: Well, <laughs> I guess it's all up to interpretation. Some people do vision boards with different pictures and things. But for me, a vision board is is a visual tool of inspiration. So mm-hmm. there's many different ways you can do them or for different purposes. So that one acted as a compass for me to remind myself where I was going and what I needed to do to pull me out of low points. Um, but you can also do other ones for... Um, just things you're wanting to work on, things you're wanting to commit to. So it's something visual that is constant somewhere you know up in your house that you can go back to or go to daily and look at it and reflect and draw inspiration from yeah. to keep you on track to helping you get to where you want to go. And
1: so for someone in your particular position, someone going through depression or anxiety, what would you say they have on their vision board as a means of reference to go back to every day?
0: I would put on the things that you know make you feel better, even if it's just for a minute. But Mm -hmm. also I would put on there just reminders of things that you love. So on one of my first vision boards, you know, I put up that I loved yoga, that I loved stories, that I loved India, that I loved crystals and spirituality and nature. So then, again, I could go back to it and be like, Am I incorporating any of these things in my life? Am I, that's what makes me feel connected to who I really am. The things yep. that make you just go, yes, I love that. Like, I could just do that all day. Yeah, going back to that was like a constant reminder of reconnecting to who I really was, which helped pull me along.
1: Thank you for that. I just want to jump in with something. It's a Bible reference. I'm not religious at all. Not one single bit. Mm-hmm. Something that I've realized ties in with vision boarding and affirmations. I guess visualizing your end goal. Before it's become manifest, mm-hmm. and the importance of having that belief is this quote: "For whatever a man soweth, that he shall also reap." So I guess that ties in with vision boarding, having something to go back to every day to remind yourself of what it is you do want, the traits mm. you do want.
0: Well, I think it's so easy to get um, caught up on focusing on what's going wrong in our lives or what's happening that we don't want. Yeah, but I think the the yeah the really great way to pull yourself out of that is going right i, I know what i don't want <laughs> yeah <laughs> what do i want and making that be your focus so that's why that having those vision boards as a reference of what you do want mm-hmm. helps you to al- align and attract those things and put goals in place to help you get to what you're wanting to have for your life
1: awesome so to wrap this all up You've got your exhibition, like you've said, that is in Maylands in Perth in May. Mm-hmm. Date to be announced. Yep. 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 Check
0: that out on my Facebook book. I'll have the event on okay. there soon once everything's finalised. Yep.
1: So the best way to get in contact with you would be on Candy Love on Facebook. Yeah. Now, there are two pages. Does it matter which page they go to
0: if you look me up candy love on facebook you'll go to my main page and there'll be a link in there to my uh, group which is called my journal yeah and that's where i post all my intimate blogging and tools and uh, sort of thoughts and pockets of inspiration along the way so cool. you can find me there
1: well i just want to thank you for taking the time out of your long weekend <laughs> here in Australia to come and share your story with the open up podcast community it is our mission to make speaking about your fears your worries your struggles as acceptable as it is a physical injury and no doubt you sharing your story will encourage courage down line so thank you so much for that
0: thank you for having me it's been fun to hang out fuck yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs>